Welcome to Hear the Dance. I'm Jared Engel, former New York City Ballet principal dancer and today's host. I had my final performance with the company on February 4th of this year. I danced George Balanchine's Firebird. So I've been thinking a lot recently about my career and all the ballets I've danced. And the ballet that we're going to be talking about today is one of the most interesting and enjoyable pieces that I got to perform. And that's George Balanchine's 1978 work, Kammer Music Number no. 2. I was joined by Daniel Applebaum, New York City Ballet soloist, and Corps de Ballet member Lars Nelson to talk about this very interesting and arresting work. Enjoy our conversation. Thank you for joining me on Hear the Dance. Pleasure Thank you to be here. Thank you for having us. Okay, we're talking about Kammer Music Number no. 2, one of Balanchine's, I think, most unique ballets. How long have you been involved with the ballet, or what is your, your history? Lars? I was first involved in the ballet after it had been out of the rep for I think over 10, 11 years and I was first understudying the ballet and so I got to kind of have a bird's eye view from the back of the studio and really see how because um, none of the gentlemen had been involved in the ballet obviously since it had gone last so none of them were familiar with it, none of them had seen any of the steps really so you weren't just learning like trial by fire. The whole ballet was being taught. Yeah, and, and even for Rosemary, it Rosemary was Dunleavy, the repertory director for the Corps de Ballet, yeah. it was a kind of a refresher for her as well. And what was cool is to be able to see all eight of those gentlemen for the ballet to click for them at different moments because it's very funky choreography. And to see how they would all really get the grasp of camera music at different times throughout. Because we had a lot of rehearsals. There was many. Yeah. And Daniel, were you one of the gentlemen in the, in the ballet yeah, the when first she time, was reteaching it? Yeah, the first time I interacted with the ballet was as a student at the school. And camera music is one of those ballets that kind of comes into the rep and they do it a bunch and then it goes away for like a decade. So I first saw it at the school. I remember there's this one step that the two principal women do at the in the first movement where they're in second position on point and they do a big plie and their arms go down. But it's in this really like amazing like chain link kind of way. And I kept going back trying to figure out how to do it. And then I went to the library to try to figure out how to do it at the New York Public Library for Performing Arts. And I still don't know how they do it. And it's just like the most fascinating thing. So yeah, and then I was in the core and I was called to one of the eight gentlemen when we first revived it. And the lore is that Balanchine did this kind of like as his version of Barocco for the men to give them something kind of really uh, meaty to sink their teeth into. And so it just felt like, you know, you were really essential in a way. So Concerto Barocco that you just referred to is super famous Balanchine ballet with eight corps de ballet women anchoring the whole ballet, never leaving the stage. And the thing about common music is that we it get is, to leave the stage. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the, the gentlemen, <laughs> there's eight gentlemen and they get to leave the stage. I think this is the only ballet where it's only a male core. I think so. Mm-hmm. Well, Balanchine, yeah. For, for Balanchine, yeah. yeah. I think Concerto Barocco, you get the sense of how special it is mm-hmm. to the women involved. And Absolutely. they do a little like circle thing before, a little ritual beforehand. Mm-hmm. Does common music feel like that to you guys? I think when it came around again, it felt like kind of a core group of like C-O-R-E group of C-O-R-P-S men, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that were kind of doing a lot. And so, and we were all really good friends. We were like, we had a really good rapport. So it just felt like a very nice kind of communal thing, all of us doing this together. Mm -hmm. How did it feel when you finally got inside the piece, Lars? It was very rewarding, you know, being in the back and then 
learning all the, it's very complicated, like I, you know, we were talking about earlier, and really feel like it was a big payoff getting to then perform it. And there's little moments that some of the guys have at different times, and I got to do the, in the second movement, the little tilt lift. So I had to stretch, obviously, um, before. You get, you, get, you get lifted, partners? No, I, 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 I tilt, like, just like over. There's the guys like on their knee, you know, bent, hunched over, and lifting your leg over one, one side of oh, the men, right. and then a big tilt throw of the leg um, that is very evident if you have so not you, stretched. You got out the the exercise bands and yeah. started yeah. started stretching. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we should try to describe this wild ride of a ballet. How does the ballet start? So the ballet starts with a bang. Literally, there's mm-hmm. a big bang of music. Everyone kind of just, like, accordions out. The women start on, like, kind of the high notes. And then, like, the bass line comes in, and the men dance to the bass line. Mm-hmm. And the women are kind of dancing to the higher piano soloist. And the two women, the two principal mm-hmm. women, are... How would you describe them in this first movement? It's Un- unlike at other yeah. any other balancing yeah. ballet, I it's think. It's two ballerinas. They kind of interact, but they're literally doing this exact same steps, just like four counts apart the the whole, like for like 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And par- oh, kind of like Concerto Barocco, yeah. perilously close as well, like mm-hmm. yeah. in, in and out of each other's space. Yeah. And in the steps that everyone's doing in this first movement, especially, it's not like a connected, like, saute, glissade, jeté. It is really almost like... Just a bunch of different shapes that are kind of strung it's together. It's really gay. <laughs> it's very gay. <laughs> How, what do you mean? Very gay. It's just like very, there's like an, I mean, not like you shouldn't dance it like with an affect, but there is an affect to kind of the position, the, pose, the shapes. Like yeah. pose, like exactly, ballroom yeah. culture kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. And just like much more like, you know, it's interesting because I feel like if you think about the choreography in of the Three Fates and Lavals, it's much more akin to the shapes that they're making than like anything else. It's very like that 1950s Vogue, you know, Dovima, like, supermodels. Sort of angular. Angular, like, with, like, a bit of a tood. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And I feel like even the principal ladies, it's something that almost looks like two-bit emoji, like, on a computer screen. You could see them as little emoji characters doing their... Just like, like, you were just doing a gesture like earlier that reminded me Pac-Man's. of, like... Yeah. yeah, like Pac-Man Ms. almost. Pac-Man. Yeah. <laughs> flying across the front of the stage. Yeah, like there's, this is later in the ballet, but it just reminded me, there's like score marks, like parts called like monster and like robots. And it's just the ideas that he clearly used to mark the score were, it was just a little bit weirder. Is there might a be a Star Wars? That might just like, be principles. <laughs> I feel like there was like a Star, I've heard something about a, like a Star Wars ballet. Like, I don't know if people oh, backstage was. said that or if it was like a review or just like the sort of dancer lore that it was like his... Star Wars ballet oh, because it was 1978. Star Wars came out in 1977. Also, didn't Balanchine call Rosemary R2D2? R2D2, apparently. R2 Duntu, I heard. R2 Duntu, yeah. Dunleavy, because she's, she's a herself she's a, a camera computer. A yeah. camera computer that yeah. can remember any step and any count in the vast repertory. Um, well, what was that story about um, Le Tombeau de Couperin that Mr. B apparently forgot he had choreographed it? 
and she restaged it. And when she went to show it to him to say, you know, I, I finished staging Tombow. And he said, Tombow, what's Tombow? He had totally forgotten. He totally forgotten. And so he went to go see it. And she said that he was in the front of the room just wide-eyed and, and, you know, d his eyes darting right and left as if he had never had never seen this ballet before. And when it finished, she said, so what do you think? He said, what a beautiful gift. That's like finding $100 in an old, you know, an old coat or something. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But it definitely feels like of a different time. Like, it feels later than the other black and white sort of yeah. neoclassic yeah. ballets to me. Like well, the physicality, like dancing it, it felt it felt like a step forward in some direction. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. And I mean even the costumes feel kind of sci-fi. Like the for the gentleman it's just one solid stripe across the chest in grays and blues. And for the ladies they have kind of a triangular stripe that goes from the ribs up to the center of the chest. And so it feels very sci-fi inspired costumes as well. And they also have like a high bouncy pony as yeah. well. They always remind me of sort of mechanical like cheerleader. There's like a cheerleader vibe, but like machines. Yeah. Because it's nonstop. It's like a step for every note, nonstop energy. And yeah, it kind of vacillates between these like this bouncy feminine energy with just like steps you would think of as like more masculine, you know, the big jumps like. Yeah. And originally it was like it was uh, Karin and Karin 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 Karin. and Colleen Neary, so the taller, mm -hmm. long, yeah. long people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe he put the, the ponytails in to kind of give it a little softness. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because the music, too, it, like, it, it starts with a bang, and then it's just this driving, it's driving very The score, score is very percussive. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, there's, there's that section, it starts with the two gentlemen, that's the solos for the women, right? I guess that one becomes like a little bit sweeter. But it's funny because like the kind of like tinkling cute music is when the gentlemen, real, the two principal gentlemen really get to dance. Yes. I mean, that also <laughs> felt very, could be very gay. <laughs> <laughs> so I found the original review from the New York Times by Anna Kisselgoff. Not that we need to re read reviews or trust reviews, but I found this a very interesting point that she made, mm -hmm. which I had never thought of, and I wonder if you guys did. She wrote that yet, and this is the intriguing point about camera music, while it is in choreographic lineal descent from the four temperaments, it deliberately adopts a mood that harks back to an earlier period. More than once and more than strikingly, Mr. Balanchine drops into camera music a movement shape associated with Václav Nijinsky, Diaghilev's most experimental choreographer. These are not gestures or silhouettes Mr. Balanchine has used elsewhere. First, there is the neo-archaic stance given to Sean Lavery, one of the ballet's four principles. It is Nijinsky's own fawn, recreated in a contemporary gloss. Bent-kneed, profiled in an invisible frieze, he inches touchingly toward his own haughty nymph, Karen von Eraldingen, who repeatedly steps away from him, looking back each time as if to see a dutiful pet dog behind her. I thought that was so interesting. And then she also likens some poses that the core does to the folded arms like in Fokine's Spectre de la Rose. Oh, so she sort of inferred that that parts of it, while it does seem very like space age, computery, sort of like modern, that some of the poses were in fact ballet russie yeah. in a well, way. Well, now that you mentioned like all the, like, the kind of robot poses and a lot of the things that the gentlemen do in the core kind of are reminiscent in some aspects of like the shapes they make in, in Light of Spring, I was going to say. Oh, Light of Spring too, yeah. Yeah, and so, and it's interesting because like there is, even though it's plotless, it's, I feel like, 
really plotless. Like, you know, it's very episodic. And, but I feel like there is still, like, kind of an aspect of ritual and community of the whole thing in a way that's similar to mm. Light of Spring, even though they're so dissimilar, obviously, in content. Do we, think we feel like we're all the chosen, the chosen one getting danced to death? <laughs> I mean, that's how I feel at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, she mentioned it's, like, related to the four temperaments but the the sort of four temperaments pose with the elbows out to the side yeah. and both hands up at a 90 degree angle is such a major motif in yeah. all, all throughout comedy music yeah. coming out of the first movement this segues into the second movement, which is when Lars gets to do his big high kicks. Got to start stretching again. Yeah, <laughs> which, in a way, it always reminded me of that scene from White Christmas with Danny Kaye where they do the choreography and they're like the, the modern dancers yeah. sort of like undulating about. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, it is kind There's of like... There's something about the music too. Dun, dun, yeah. dun. Sounds like we're being modern. <laughs> and all the guys are holding each other yeah. in this sort of mass and going in and out of each other and Lars kicks his legs over. Yeah. It's a very showbiz amoeba. Showbiz amoeba. Without being camp. No, it's not camp. No, it's just like shapes. Yeah. But there is, you know, there's kicks. There's there's also like weirdly vulgar positions. Like there's one guy who's just basically bent over with his butt facing the audience, you know. It's oh, like, that always, yeah. and it also, that always made us laugh when I was in yeah. school. Teehee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it still makes us people laugh. So, um, But it, it's interesting because it's like it doesn't feel vulgar in the moment, but it is just like... I, he was just like kind of using bodies as shapes. Yeah, mm-hmm. feels like in that moment, like you almost feel like not human in a way. You're like a vessel for like this bigger architecture. Yeah. And then in that second movement, the two principal men come out with the women and start doing some strange potter de work on separate sides of the stage. So I think your eye in this ballet is always drawn, like it feels much less centrally focused maybe than other balancing yeah. ballets because their core is in the middle of this part. Like, two couples are on the side doing different things at different times. Like, there's a lot to look at mm-hmm. and try to piece together at the same time. Also, I feel like the music in the second movement is the most kind of all over the place. Like, it goes, it starts really slow, then there's fast kind of, like, oompa, polka moments, and then it, like, slows back down, you know. After your potter does, we all come back on, and then there's like the V, and the two gentlemen are dancing in front, and it speeds up, and then oh, dramatic lighting change too. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. When we start doing that little dance with a. That was one place I was like, try not to look like you're having too much fun. <laughs> that makes any sense. Because it's kind of serious, and like I would always be looking across to Amar and like mm-hmm. trying not to laugh or make him laugh while we're doing these kind of funny little... Were you, though? I was. Oh, yeah, there's <laughs> the, there is that, that step that we do that like looks almost like if you had like an Egyptian hieroglyph, hieroglyph. and then you just kind of like animated it or something, you know, where we do this, this thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Like arms sort of shimmying back and yeah. forth yeah. in front of you. Oh, I totally forgot about that. And also I re- remember when I learned this, very difficult to learn, like piecing all of our moves together and then trying to get a grasp of the music. 
especially for that second movement because no. it doesn't have seem to have as steady of a beat. It was no. really it took a long time, which I think is odd for a balancing ballet because so often it seems so easy to learn. Yeah. Well, yeah. I would say the first movement is really easy to learn because the music is so punctuated. Mm-hmm. But then I think. Yeah, that second movement gets really the sort amorphous. Of amoeba, yeah. amorphous land. And did you get to learn it with Karen, who was an original? And then what about the leading men? Did no, I think Sean around. Sean, I think Karen was still around, but I didn't dance with the Karen parts. And I don't think Sean. I think it was Albert Evans and Kathleen Tracy who had both danced it with Sean and, and Meryl. But I remember Karen being there and coaching her potato for sure. Yeah. Are there four movements or five movements? Am I losing my mind? There are four. Yeah, because the yeah. first movement... According to Wikipedia, the music... There's yeah, four. Yeah, four. The first movement is a one with just the two principal women, then the two couples, and they all do the pas de deux, then the principal movement, Oh, the pas de deux. break. And then and we then do the, the finale, the bomb. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the pas de deux are these little mysterious... I love these pas de deux. Yeah. And they're very short, and yeah. they're, it's a total mood change from all the, all the sort of big stage with all the core men. Yeah. They become very intimate and... Very dark, lighting-wise, yeah. and... Sort of tender too. Yeah, yeah. The relationships are kind of much less, ro- not robotic, but like there's there is like a humanity to that part that the rest of the ballet does feel very like, again, like you're a vessel for like the whole idea of everything. And the part of the, that I did, I love. Well, the part of the is very nice, and we're coming downstage, mm-hmm. but in the background. And oh, I, there's three there's gentlemen. Three, do, three yeah. gentlemen with those four T's arms yeah. linked, and they just they raise them slowly and. Come back down. But they go across the whole back of the stage yeah. in a B plus. Yeah. It's terrible. Sort of chugging. Their calf. Oh really? Like, yeah. I don't know why. It's because another hieroglyphic they're so tired. Moment. What? It's another hieroglyphic it is, moment. Yeah. And plus they're in silhouette, like in yeah. shadows in the back. It's kind of like like with glass pieces later. Yeah. With Jerry later did in glass pieces. Yeah. I feel, yeah. feel like that's such an interesting, mysterious little Yeah. And it was all it's also so funny because it's like I think it's the second or third potter or whatever, but all of a sudden they're just going back there out of nowhere. It's interesting. Yeah. I also feel about this ballet, it's kind of like neoclassic greatest hits. It's like every concept of the of other ballets, just like the shape and the form mm-hmm. and the whatever, but it feels like more abstract to me than dancing other ballets. Yeah. If that makes any sense at all. Yeah, and there's obviously... It has Balanchine's stamp on it, but there's never a moment where you see a step and you say, oh, well, he, he took that from himself in this ballet, or that's from this ballet. It's all unique. Mm. Or apparently he just yeah. stole it all from Diaghilev or yeah. from no, like, according <laughs> to Anna Kizilgoth. <laughs> no, but the shapes really, I mean, the shapes you can say, like, yeah, the 4T arms, but, like, there are certain Balanchine ballets where it's like, oh, he, like, didn't feel the need to recycle that. It's just, it was mm-hmm. this for this. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of steps like that in camera music. After the pot it is, it's the, the so, two, the oh, two men. Yeah, that's the only time that the core gets a break. Mm-hmm. Because, the yeah, is. because it's just, not the pot it is, the third movement when the principals dance. Yes, which yeah. is a very funny one to do as well. Because it's just so weird. The way the two men start, and they just sort yeah. of like shuffle on their... Kind of on the balls of their feet, mm-hmm. side to side, and well, then the ladies do their jeté, menage, and then, oh, yeah, then you all have of a sudden to come we do these like on. huge, like circles of the stage yeah. with jetés, and the women come out, and the men come back through them, and yeah, and, and you're counting, and it's so hard to count, and also move that fast, and re- like remember to go. I remember 
being scared that it wouldn't ever work out, but somehow it did. And that's the one where she has like the funniest little exit where she does a small circle of Shenay's on her heel, and then she does like a jazzy point to the floor. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah. <laughs> With her head sort yeah. of cocked at the audience. Yeah, it's like a little moment of who cares in there. <laughs> who cares the balance ballet, yeah. not like who cares about this stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. But don't shh. We all have jokes. <laughs> the last movement. It's interesting the way the last movement ends because normally, I think, in a ballet with, you know, a balancing ballet, they're very kind of hierarchical and the principles are, like, the main part. But he has them exit, like, a full minute before the ballet ends and it really just ends with the core men again on stage by themselves, which I think is, I always thought was very interesting as a choice. Yeah, did, did Rosemary Dunleavy, she would have been there for the choreographic process yeah, originally. So, yeah. Did she yeah. talk about it at all when teaching it? Or have you heard any little nuggets of wisdom since? She's really only talked about the first movement, I remember, was after Mr. B had done Ballow. And she said, you have all these good guys in the company now. Why don't you make something for them? And Oh, because ba- Ballow della Regina was, again, all female core and yeah. four female mm-hmm. soloists. Yeah, and... That's when he said he had this piece of music, this other Hindemith, the only other Hindemith in the rep besides the Four Temperaments, and that he didn't really know what to do with and said, okay, like, let's try. And she said he choreographed the whole first movement in one rehearsal. And she had to pick her jaw up off the floor. And when it was finished, he looked at her and said, you know, it just might work. But that's the only, like, choreographic process that Rosemary has has shared with us. Well, so... Cheers to Rosemary Dunleavy. Yeah. Thank you for... Camera music. Yeah. Thank you for camera music. Yes, yeah. for, that's great. What I would like to know, and I don't know if you know it either probably, but how long he had been sitting on that score because uh, Hindemith wrote it in the, the second of these, I think there's seven of these chamber music, mm-hmm. camera music pieces. It was in 1924, which I find interesting because that mm. was right when Balanchine yeah. had come out of Russia and yeah. when he was in Germany which in the the recent Mr. B book, mm. she talks, Jennifer Holmes talks about how influential the Weimar Germany experience yeah. was to his dancing and to his work. And he, he quoted, I yeah. mean, he said that himself. So I was wondering if there was some nostalgic sort mm. of connection to... Well, and Karn was German that. too, so maybe it was, you know, his perfect German muse for the perfect German score or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Lars Nelson is half German. I'm German as well, yes. Oh, do you feel a connection with this uh, this ballet, this music, this this experience? Natürlich. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Wait, so That's how do you really say pronounce the name correctly? Kammermusik Nummer zwei. Oh. Okay. I think Lars should do the intro of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there any other memories you have of a performance? A performance where you've done it in the world. How does the audience like it? Because it is a bit of a weird thing. Oh, an odd piece. Yeah, it, it's just one of those where we finish the corpsmen, rush to the front of the stage and do this uh, arm and leg sequence, and then we do a, a cannon down the line of a, a pirouette, a single pirouette, and then all together this big high kick and uh, land on our knee and kind of hiding behind our hands and knees. And it's one of those where right when you hit the ground after hearing that last note, you really feel like, wow, I danced a ballet. I, I, you feel fulfilled. You feel like you left everything on the stage. And I think the audience responds to that as well. They, they really can tell that this is, this is a feat to perform. 
and they Espe- appreciate it. Especially after the the last movement, I just rewatched a video. It's mm-hmm. there's so much going on. Yeah, like the stage is like forever changing. There's someone always dancing in motion. There's always like two of the core men jogging around the principals who were yeah. doing a very fast part of the sequence. It's obvious that everyone is expending a lot of energy. Yeah, it requires a lot of energy to do, for sure. This is why it felt like a more a later, a more modern ballet. Like, it felt like I could really just go for it 100 million percent and not have to... Like, there, there was no, like, trying to make it look nice, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you're just doing these weird shapes and having a lot of energy and jumping a lot, but you're it's not like... I'm not trying to technical. Yeah, yeah you well, don't have to be technical, or I'm not trying to look like pretty or soft, yeah. or like, just well, like I feel going like for it. What's cool about it too is that, like you said, it's all these kind of weird, funky shapes, and if you just kind of, if you tried to make them beautiful or tried to do something else, it wouldn't look good. You would look at, it would be a disservice to you and the ballet. So mm. actually, kind of by just trusting the fullness of the choreography and embracing that it's not supposed to be beautiful, it makes it look yes. the way it should. Yeah, interesting. Laura, as you were saying that you had just read about Kamra Music and Jennifer Homan's recent book, Mr. B. Yeah, Jennifer Homan's likens the men to be like an engine. And she says, The ballet was heady, mental, intellectual. Kamra Computer, they called it. A thrilling high-wire act in the spirit of Agon, but more relentlessly paced, nervous and anarchic, tightly controlled, and full of cannons and counterpoint. It feels like it. It feels like you're sliding into a system and you just yeah. have to go, go, go until the end. Yeah. You know, not very many car engines are beautiful to look at, you know, but they, they definitely I've honestly get the job never done. looked at a car engine that Wrong I trusted. Crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, too, that when the, when the men finish, they're shielding themselves away from the audience, like their heads are down. Which doesn't happen in a lot of endings of Balancing Ballet. No, either. it's like it's interesting. It's the exact same pose in the coffee solo. <laughs> the, essentially, the arms. Oh yes, mm. it always reminded me of at the end of Agon. The whole cast goes oh. to their knee yeah. before the women leave, and then mm-hmm. the men end up on stage by themselves. And it's another ballet where it's just the men on stage at the end. Yeah. And and that one they're standing up facing the back. Yeah. I guess he doesn't like seeing men's faces at the end of the ballet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, our makeup is never good as, <laughs> as the women, so maybe that's why we maybe we look a little too shiny. <laughs> Where would you put it on your your top list, Daniel, of ballets that you did? Like it's in- probably my one of my favorite corals that I've ever danced, for sure. Yeah. I think it's interesting. It's like a wonderfully, deeply imperfect ballet, and that's kind of why it's so interesting and watchable. Hmm. Say that again. Wonderfully, deeply imperfect. Because wow, it's not that resonates with me. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it goes so rarely too. So yeah. I think you and we, I think we get the, to encounter yeah. it so yeah. so rarely. That but I think mm-hmm. there's like it's not a ballet that ever feels like completely satisfying. Like I always think the first movement is like a perfect piece of choreography, mm-hmm. and then there's lulls, and it goes. I go in and out of kind of being interested in it, honestly. But I think that that's kind of part of its charm. And Lars, where does it rank on your top five list? Certainly top three. And maybe my favorite oh, nice. ballet that I've danced, or core role that I've danced. Yeah, and like Daniel was saying, there are moments that, you know, you feel more engaged with it. And there's definitely moments in the finale where we are jumping around and scurrying side to side where you feel like, oh my goodness, I don't think I can do this. And you really have to dig 
to a deeper level than you thought you had to, and you go off stage for only four counts of eight, and then you're running in on that next 12, and mm. there you go for the final push of the ballet, which is actually quite a bit more material yeah. to, to get through. But you find moments where you can recuperate. Like there's one moment where um, the section in the score is called Monster, and it's seven counts of eight, but my colleague standing next to me, Andrew Scordato, and I would not count seven counts of eight. We would count 56 because it was more interesting. <laughs> and now I can't count seven counts of eight because I know when in the score things happen. Like um, that's on 37. That's yeah, on exactly. 42. <laughs> 2021. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's one of those things I can't go back to counting seven counts of eight. You know, it has to be a 56. And that's the thing that gets me through, you know, that section. If you ever stage it, you'd be like, and now we're going to count 56. 56. Can you imagine the <laughs> dancer's bases? Like, what? Why not seven counts of eight? No, it's 56. I love that. No, I always, I loved dancing counter music. I thought it was, maybe because it's so wonderfully, deeply imperfect yeah. or something. Um, and because it doesn't go that often, yeah. there's, I don't want to say less pressure, because like, obviously getting on stage and dancing balancing, there's always, you want to be good, but there's not so many, um, like people I have, like, there's visions still, in my yeah. head of like people doing it and wanting to be as good as this person or as mm. jump as high as this person because like it so rarely goes yeah. you don't have as many associations with there's it. There's like fewer ghosts in the ballet, you know. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And also, just at the end, you're so exhausted, but you feel like you counted all your counts, did yeah. your steps. Like you really feel like I mean, I imagine that's what, like running a marathon feels like. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. They should they should give you little silver uh, silver capes yeah. for when the for the bows we should all come yeah. out of the silver capes yeah in well, the sense of accomplishment yeah. when it's finished yeah. and also oddly for this ballet the court of ballet gets to go in the front of the curtain mm -hmm. but Barocco doesn't but the Barocco women who have been on stage on without point. without leaving without, the whole yeah. time and on point yeah we need to get them a curtain call yeah <laughs> did Rosemary say why the men went in front. Maybe Balanchine was just like, I didn't think eight boys could do this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably because be, that's actually a good point. It's mm -hmm. like the the women are so um, used to anchoring. Yeah, every, and everything. and and it's it's almost assumed that that they could do that, and that it's you know oh like of course another ballet that they just you know can just do really really well, whereas for us that's less so. Especially at that point, less opportunity for yeah. A male. Yeah. Yeah, this is before like glass pieces and Jerry, yeah. all of Jerry's big ballets with mm -hmm. big yeah. male chorus. Yeah. I think it was just, it's probably just Stars is the only other like showpiece, mm. really. Stars and Stripes for like the male core. And Jennifer Homans also talks about how the men were so used to being in the back of the ballets and being behind the women and partnering. And she also makes the statement that men were used to being in the back of class too. And, and now, you know, here is an opportunity oh, yeah. for them to really step up and showcase oh, yeah, cause, themselves. Because they would be in the, on the side or in the back when he was doing all this point work stuff, yeah. and they have yeah. to come out and do a, a double tour to Grand, double tour to Grand Plier <laughs> after <laughs> 20 minutes on the side. Yeah. On the, um, at least on the Wikipedia page, yeah. <laughs> um, not that that's the most reliable, but they attribute Balanchine making the ballet because he wanted to give the orchestra something to challenge them after Ballo della Regina, I guess that's, you know, typical Verdi, yeah. they, you know, mm. maybe they didn't, it wasn't a challenge. So 
Wikipedia says it was for the orchestra, but if Rosemary said it was for the for the boys, well, I mean, maybe it's both. It wasn't for the costume shop because it was very simple costumes, <laughs> but he was challenging everyone. It's brilliant. Anything you want to say about anything, Lars? This is your moment. <laughs> I've had a fabulous time getting to learn from you my entire career starting in the school. Um, you, oh, you, Jared, you, um, this is not going to end the podcast for that sweet. <laughs> you've always been someone who has just carried yourself with such, um, grace. And I was fortunate to get to be taught by you in the school. And I know when I, when I first came here, you were someone who I always would, you know, find myself watching and I've learned a lot from you. Stop. <laughs> and so, so nice. I disagree with everything Lars just I said. Say congratulations on an excellent, excellent, yeah. outstanding career, and we all wish you nothing but the best. And we're excited <laughs> to see you again. Thank you, Lars. Thank you, Daniel Applebaum and Lars Nelson, for joining me to talk about Kammer Music. I think you should say it, Lars. Kammer Music Nummer zwei. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.